Hi, I'm Michael Wiafe. And I'm Demetria Wack. Welcome to PolicyWise, a podcast from Youth Leadership Institute in collaboration with California Forward and their Young Leaders Advisory Council, where we challenge assumptions, discuss, and question policy to find out, is this policy wise? Each episode, we invite current and rising policy leaders to discuss current events, social issues, and political topics in order to promote youth voice and establish a model of intergenerational policy discussions. Nick Jasso is a student at UCLA studying sociology with a minor in civic engagement and social change. Nick is the Youth Voice Fellow for Fresh Lifelines for Youth and is committed to changing lives and hopes to have a career in juvenile justice advocacy. Uh, Nick, would you tell us about yourself? Maybe a fun fact? I, I think my funnest fact is that uh, I recently have completed my home gym. So I have like a whole like power rack set up and whatnot. So I am like ready for the rest of COVID until, you know, Daddy Nussi opens things up again. <laughs> I'll be okay. <laughs> Um, I will survive. I will sustain. <laughs> um, and I, I guess I'm, I'm also a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt, uh, which is like my proudest achievement of, in life so far. Impressive. But yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, things are good. Things are good in, uh, in the <laughs> Jasso household. Uh, the Jasso gym is up and running. Uh, and I am the strongest person in the gym oh. for the first time in my life. <laughs> and actually, yeah. We're actually going to be replacing um, like cops on school campuses with jujitsu masters. Is that the that's what the conversation is about today? <laughs> right? I think that I think that could work. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so so why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got uh, involved in your work and maybe exactly what you do currently? Be great. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk about that. So uh, I'm a I'm a formerly incarcerated student. I got first involved in the juvenile justice system when I was 14 years old. Um, that was the first time I was arrested. Growing up, I had just gotten into a lot of trouble and school to me was just another punitive system. Um, it was a place where I went to be punished for exhibiting signs of trauma, right? Um, and from very early on, um, my behavioral problems, right? Talking out in, in class, um, uh, being late, being defiant, that whole thing um, was punished fairly harshly. Um, and I had a lot of interactions with police just from that, right? Um, so by the time I had done something to get arrested, arrest worthy, um, I was. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until uh, I got involved with the organization that I work for now, uh, Fresh Lifelines for Youth, um, that anyone had identified my key characteristics of speaking out, of being defiant as leadership qualities and an advocate and a public speaker and all these other things that now I think are, are very core to who I am as a person. Are, are really helping me in, in my life's mission, right? Um, and so I'm an alumni of the, the program that I work for now. I was a former volunteer, was a former client. I was in their speech committee for a while. I've, I've done a bunch of keynoting for them and whatnot. And now uh, I am their Youth Voice Policy Fellow. Uh, and basically what that is, I just talk to, I, I talk to you. That, that, that's literally what I do. I just have focus groups with, with groups of youth about issues in their communities and ask them how they, how they want it to be fixed. Because youth really are the experts 
in their lived experience, right? And I think a lot of times that we're forgetting that and we don't trust our young people, but our young people know what's up, right? Like they are experts in navigating systems, um, especially our, our juvenile justice involved youth. So there's a lot of traits, I think, in, in what you're saying that I would like to dive deeper into if you'd, if you'd let me. Um, I think something that, that kind of shown out to me was the school to prison pipeline and how that, that exists. Would you, would you mind telling us like where you grew up and maybe a little bit more about your, cause, cause I'm, I'm very interested into how, like to what extent were, um, police like involved with the school? Cause you mentioned that, you know, in, in class, um, I guess whatever happened in class, like translated, right. You, you already had, you already had experiences with officers before, um, before doing something, uh, arrest worthy. So can you, can you kind of lay that out for us a little bit? Yeah. So, um, I grew up in the Bay area. Um, and both my, my, my mom and my dad, uh, were involved in the criminal justice system. Um, my dad a little bit longer and then was then deported and uh, my mom just kind of in and out. Uh, so, so from there I had, I had, I was like system impacted, right? Uh, my childhood was being affected by it. Um, and in, in my own, my own life, um, growing, growing up in, in San Mateo, um, I was, so I, I had behavioral issues. I'll, I'll, I'll let that be known. Right? I talked back. I was a little defiant. I still am a little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, but those, those behavioral issues, um, they, they pinpointed me or, or I became a target, um, for police in my community. Um, so even if I wasn't like, let's say I got into, into trouble in school, I talked back to a teacher, I got a detention. I was sent to the office and then instead of like meeting with a counselor or meeting with like a, a school staff member, um, I was then led to the school resource officer. Um, and then that same school resource officer would then, or their, um, their associates, right, the other police officers, um, would pull me over in the community for like riding my bike without a helmet or riding my bike without lights, um, for being out past curfew, like, like all, all of these, all of these things that are, are juvenile, right? Like they're, they're very, very small, but all this police contact, right? Um, eventually led, um, to me being arrested for something that I don't know if kids should be arrested for. I, I got arrested for a fight, right? Um, when, similar incident happened for my wider, wealthier counterpart at the same school. Um, and he was suspended for a few days while I was arrested, did about 30 days in juvenile hall, um, was expelled, uh, had to go to court community school for about a year and a half, uh, had probation for a year and a half, um, and had my, my life significantly altered. Now, it worked out well for me, right? Uh, I got I got linked up to services and things like that because there was a um, there's kind of the double edged sword of growing up in the Bay Area is that um, <laughs> people are being pushed out, right? 
uh, I was pushed out. I, I live in Sacramento now. Um, you get pushed out um, because of the tech industry, because of the, the influx of money, right? In the last like decade or so. Um, but at the same time, there's also an influx of resources. So through those resources, I was linked up with a lot of like community nonprofits and um, a lot of community resources that really helped mold me into into the the person I am now, the the young professional that I am now. With that, is there a a reason like from the resources that you got an understanding of of what it takes, you know? to help either other people stay out of the best situation in the first place or, you know, get advantage, take advantage of those resources. Is there a reason you've decided to, you know, focus on um, like resource officers in schools? And, and just to like clarify for like the audience, can you clarify like what resource officers are and like what, like what exactly their duties are, should be, and um, how it might actually play out in that setting, in a school setting? Yeah, so the school school resource officers um, started like back in the 50s, right, to uh, increase relationships between like police departments and youth, right? Um, but in the 90s, with uh, the Columbine shooting, around the world, the shooting grabbed the and headlines. Then, like all this, like super predator Youth talk. gangs have existed in many American cities for generations. Young black and brown men were were criminalized just for being young black and brown. The members, usually drawn from a single ethnic group, give unswerving loyalty to the gang. There was an influx of school resource officers. When gangs turn to violence and crime, they create formidable problems for the police. It became very predatory and when some start selling drugs the law enforcement problems are even greater and so what the the role of a, a school resource officer is is to protect the school right um to increase relationships with the community but is that happening <laughs> no <laughs> what what it's become um or what the school resource officer program has become it's become a hand in the school to prison pipeline. Right? Young people who like me, right, are um, exhibiting signs of trauma instead of receiving counseling <laughs> are getting arrested or uh, meeting with police officers, which has multiple effects. It decreases the likelihood that a young person is going, going to graduate from high school. It increases the, the likelihood that they're going to be incarcerated in the adult system and then all the social ills that go with that, right? And so the reason that, like, as, a, as an individual and um, kind of like my, my work right now is focused so much on getting school resource officers out of schools, getting police out of schools, is that they don't belong there. Um, there is no reason to have a person with a gun, um, to have a person with um, that level of, of, of authority um, on a school campus when all the, the issues that, that, that people talk about or all the reasons for them being there could be taken care of by a community-based nonprofit for half the cost. <laughs> there, there's some places where school resource officers are paid $150,000 a year. Yeah. That's two counselors, right? That's that's multiple uh, employees at a nonprofit, right? And there's there's this issue, um, especially when talking to youth, and especially youth of color, 
where the school resource officer is the only one that it's available, right? And the school resource officer is the is the person that looks like them, right? It, it is a um, it is a, as a it's a black man, it's a Latino man, it's a Latino woman, it's a black woman, right? It's it's someone that they can personally identify with, that they can like have rhetoric with, that that they they feel comfortable with, right? And when I ask them, it's because well, one, they they look like them, they they talk like them, right? And and there's the ability to connect, right? But also, the counselor is only there two days a week for like four hours a day, right? So the person that they they should be talking to is unavailable, or they're just culturally irrelevant. They're 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 not hiring the right people, or they're hiring the right person, but just not full time. <laughs> like the the resources that are going to these school resource officers are taking away from resources that could be better utilized, because. One, incarceration doesn't work, right? Incarceration adds more trauma to young people. So why have the entryway to incarceration in schools when the purpose of, of, of schools and the purpose of, um, you know, the, the juvenile justice system, right, is rehabilitation for youth, is the advancement of youth, right? Uh, nonprofits do that <laughs> at such a high rate. Uh, and with much less cost. <laughs> so from an economic standpoint and from like a, the progress of, of our communities, right? It does not make any sense to have police officers doing the work that nonprofits should be doing, that community-based organizations should be doing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm actually really interested um, in like a little bit more, I guess, into, into how the organizations work, but that's, I think that's an aside. Uh, as you were speaking, I, I was kind of looking up because I was thinking back to my my school days, like high school and middle school. And I don't think, I think I was, at first I was like, oh, I was probably oblivious or didn't know or didn't think about um, school resource officers. But to be honest, I haven't really heard of school resource officers until maybe the past year, maybe past two years. So I looked it up and my school actually didn't have it until 2018. And they brought them back in 2018. It says, the district is paying 169,000 per year for each for the services of each police officer and 180,000 per year for the deputy. Ah, that's so much money. Yeah. One. <laughs> I it, I'm literally looking at it and it's like wow. That's they put them back in 2018. We were doing fine. I graduated in 2016. We were fine. I don't even know like okay there were sure there were little things here and there um but it was never like a big issue it never you know really caused problems and I'm really wondering what like what what situation might this have even changed in my own high school that I don't you know I don't really know anymore what what that might look like and why is this something that we're now turning to it's not something that's being phased out it looks like it's something that's being phased in um Anyway, that was that was just a, a, a reflection, I think, um, as I was trying to think of, of how that would look like in, in my childhood. Um, one memory I, I consistently bring back, my third grade teacher hated me. Third grade. I was a great student. Like, first, second grade. Michael. Okay, Michael. <laughs> my second grade teacher, like, him and I were like this. I move on to third grade. She hated me. I don't know what I did. But um, I knew I asked too many questions. Okay, that's 
that's me. So I asked, I asked too many questions and I think she thought I was trying to be disrespectful. I don't know what she thought, but I was in detention more than I was out of detention in third grade. And my grades went from here to like, like, you know, being called into the office, like what, what's going on you used to do so well. And I'm like, I don't, like I'm in detention all day <laughs> because my teacher thinks I asked too many questions. Um, and I think that that, like just that alone altered, I think the, the opportunities that I had, you know, like, um, everybody was going to Astro Camp or whatever in like fourth grade, and I didn't go because my third grade, you know, grade sucked versus my sisters who, who, you know, did fantastic. But anyway, all I'm trying to say is that, you, you know, you're put into this environment where you have one person in control of who succeeds and who doesn't. And if they, if they have any perception that you're doing something disrespectful that they don't like, they have the ability to quite literally stifle your, 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 you know, opportunities. Um, and so I'm like, I think this conversation just made me really wonder how many students are having their opportunity stifled because the wrong person is in the wrong place and that the right resources are not in the places where they need them the most, especially at the time in their life when they need it the most. Uh, okay. Thank you for coming to my thought talk. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, and I think the, the short answer to that question right, is a lot, like a lot of youth are, are being uh, kept from reaching their fullest potential because the wrong person is placed in, in the wrong position, right? And, and like in, in your community, um, for $160,000, $180,000, that's like three positive adults, right? <laughs> like for, for each one, you know, I'll do re- I'll do you know, like, and I don't know about y'all, right? But but for me, when I'm having a bad day, I don't want to cry to somebody with a gun. You know, like, <laughs> I'd much rather talk to somebody in a sweater vest, you know, like. <laughs> it's, a really, it's a really good point. And I think the economic stuff that you brought up is really interesting to me. And I kind of want to get into it, but I also want to talk about some of, like, you know, some of the work that's, that you're working on currently. Um, so maybe we have time, we can loop back to it. But could you tell us a little bit about some of the, you know, the direct work that you're doing right now, what it actually looks like, what are some of the, I don't know, recent movements policy-wise, um, sorry, hashtag policy-wise, um, that are going on. Yeah, uh, hashtag policy-wise. Um, you <laughs> should sell merch. Um, so yeah, uh, like I said earlier, a lot of what I do is just like talking to youth. Um, but a couple of the, the bigger projects that, um, that I'm now currently working on, um, because be- before the, the election cycle, a lot of what I was doing um, was like, I was doing like census workshops and there's like a big push to get youth or their families like to, to take the, the census, right? And then I was doing like a lot of like, how to like learning how to vote and like how to research propositions and like a lot of uh, workshops on civic engagement for youth that are citizens and have the right to vote or uh, have the ability to vote and folks that, that aren't right and, and how to how to go about that and how to be still engaged right but now currently the bigger projects that I'm a part of right now are focused in Alameda County uh, in Oakland so for one of them, I'm in process of developing a like public speaking workshop so that youth can become the change agents in, in their own communities and be fully equipped with the tools to be able to advocate for themselves, advocate for their communities, be able to speak at board meetings, use their testimony in a way that is very impactful and very intentional while not like tokenizing our young people, because I, I think that's an issue. 
And I've definitely felt that before. And it's not a, it's an icky feeling, right? And then the, the bigger project that I'm working on right now is there's been a lot of talk in Oakland about reducing OPD's budget by about 50%. Will you break down that the, acronym for us? Uh, Oakland Police Department. And they're looking at how they could reinvest that, that funding in the community to, to better serve the community, right? And there is definitely room to create more responses that don't involve a gun or a badge. Long story short, there's a bunch of like hoo-ha and like how to get that done and like like who's going to do what and like how they're going to determine it and they we need to invest more in non-law enforcement methods of safety safety includes education the, they put out a bunch of different task force um and in advisory boards to then make a recommendation uh and i'm currently working on the youth advisory board to to help make that recommendation so right now we are pushing out surveys. Actually, it's kind of cool. We were we were aiming for about a hundred surveys to go out to to ask youth about um, police interactions, what community safety looks like for them, what makes community safer, things like that. Right? Um, we were aiming for about a hundred, um, and I spoke to um, the fly director of uh, Alameda County like yesterday. Um, we were at over eight hundred. <laughs> um, oh, that's so so I'll be helping like facilitate discussion and stuff like that uh, there. What the conference is going to be is we're going to have some have some workshops and really have um, like some brainstorming sessions on, on how to like w what works for communities, what what makes communities safer, what makes your school safer, right? Well, from all the information that we're going to gather, we're going to then put forth a recommendation. Um, uh, on how to reinvest that money into the community. Are any other parts, like any other uh, counties across the state, like uh, looking into this already? Or they have, like, are they aware of your work? And are you potentially going to be making recommendations to other counties of ways they can transfer your recommendations or anything along those lines? Or do you think that it's going to be so specific? I think so. For for this project, I think it's going to be very specific. It, it's very specific to Oakland, um, where looking to just get um, um, to get in contact with youth in Oakland um, and where uh, youth is up to 25. Like we're, we're not just like, you know, in high school age or whatever. As we're in, we're in three counties and we'd like to eventually get into state policy, I imagine some of what we're, we're doing now will um, we'll have some crossover in the future. Okay. So I'm in, I'm in Berkeley. So mm -hmm. I feel like um, I'm close. I'm close to the source in terms of, of Oakland, and so I'm really curious. This you're talking about the city of Oakland. So how does that affect um, you know the, the surrounding cities? Berkeley's right next to Oakland. Um, is San Francisco kind of watching and seeing what's going on? They're pretty close to each other, and like you know the smaller cities that are around the the big cities. Do you think that it's going to create a, a, an influence? Is it going to be more of a chain reaction? Or is it going to be more of like a, um, we'll copy exactly what you do? Like, how, how do you think that that that's going to translate to, to other cities? I, I hope it's a domino effect. You know, I, I hope it, it does, right? Because I think that problems with over-policing are not unique to any one city, right? They're, they're everywhere uh, in California. 
that everywhere in the United States, there there is a problem with over-policing and just like a, a, a very militarized police force. And now I, I want to preface the saying that by, I, by saying I am not necessarily anti-police, right? I am anti-police in schools in the same way that, you know, I like, I don't think I'm a good chef. You know, I don't, I'm not going to go and try and work at like some five-star restaurant, right? I think it's in the same way, you know, and I like, I am not a doctor, so I am not going to practice medicine, right? I, I think in that same way, <laughs> police should not be practicing being, you know, counselors, you know, that's not their profession. You know, that's not what they are trained to do. That's not what their, their skill set is. Um, and, and that's why I, I think they don't belong, you know, um, I, in the same way, I don't, I don't want a mechanic making my food, right? Like, it's just like, there's, you know, like you have a specific job for like specific things, right? Uh, and you were trained to do some certain things, not to say mechanics can't cook, I'm sure, you know, there's, there's some, you know, mean chefs out there that, that can also work on cars, right? Um, but I, I think that, you know, your profession should match your job description, right? Um, With, you know, defund police movement, what, how has your work changed in regard of that? Was maybe like your personal feelings changed? Um, do you think that there, does this profession still need to exist? Does it still have like a place where they police should be going? For now, I'm going to be speaking as, a, as an individual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my, myself, Nicholas Jasso, right? Um, <laughs> I, I would hope that one day we would get to a point where we no longer need police, right? Um, and I think that the whole concept of like the defund police movement, right? And uh, the movement, right, is is not necessarily about just wiping away police departments and then creating a vacuum, right? It, it is about making very intelligent, very intentional um, moves towards re- redirecting the funding that was going to police, right, into the communities. Because what, what we know, right, is most crimes are, are, are crimes of, of, of poverty and of, of need. Right? The, if we can have a war on poverty, right, <laughs> instead of a war on drugs, <laughs> we, we can, uh, as a society, eventually move towards a, um, a, a place where we no longer need police, or at least as many police, right? I'm sure that we won't be there for a very long time. And so I do see how there is a need for police, right? I think that the training that police receive needs to be, needs to be changed. Um, I think that there is a serious disconnect um, between police officers training um, and what they're asked to do. Um, being a police officer is an extremely difficult job and I completely understand that. Um, it's a very high pressure um, and, and that, that's hard, right? And a lot, of the issues are from their training. The majority of the training shouldn't be revolved around firearms, <laughs> right? right? They should know like how to detain somebody, a, a resisting opponent, without the use of firearms. So like me, like, you know, I, I do jujitsu, right? So I'm, I'm a big proponent of grappling. 
if I can detain my brother, who's 6'3", 250 plus pounds, a Muay Thai fighter, um, without hurting him, and successfully like immobilize him when, when we're like messing around, when we're sparring, when, when whatever, right? A police officer should be able to do that as well, right? You should be able to neutralize a situation without hurting somebody. Um, and I think that a lot of the training right now is focused on firearms, right? Um, and in my like, you know, in uh, my my sport, there is a adopt a cop movement happening, right? As as like the the BJJ solution to police brutality. Um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, and I and I think that there's a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of merit to that. Um, but to recap the the question and my answer, um, I think policing needs to be radically changed. Because um, um, I understand that police as individuals are not necessarily bad people. They are just being placed in a system um, that does not cultivate the greatest people or does not cultivate the greatest responses, right? Um, and I think being a police officer is one of the hardest jobs in the United States. Um, because one, it, it, the, the job in itself is, is dangerous and it's stressful. And two, uh, not too many people like police, right? Um, and, and a lot of it is due to the things that police officers have done, right? It, it's the abuses of power that um, they've had. So I think that for one, police need to be held accountable. Um, they, police need to serve jail time if they are, you know, making, yeah. committing crimes, right? Um, um, police need better training. Um, and I think that there needs to be less police. Uh, I, I think that the, the reasons for having police officers there for, for safety and the protection of people and property, right? I think that the reasons for their presence uh, would decrease with that funding being redistributed into communities, into small businesses, into education, uh, into counseling. Um, there are like so many things that we could do that, that are upstream, right? That, 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 um, that would then decrease their necessity. <laughs> Basically, it, what you're saying about the system is a, a quote that I'm, I'm sure many people have heard before, but the system is producing the exact result that it was designed to create. Right, so it doesn't even matter. Well, it matters, um, but but it doesn't matter as much the individuals who are yeah. officers, but it matters more about the system that's behind it and how it's creating this result. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of it, I, I do think comes from training. I do think that they, they do, they, they also have the liberty to make arbitrary decisions and get defended when that decision is very wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they're not afraid to make the wrong decision. Um, yeah. and then it's also like, you know, that, how do I explain it? So, okay. This was when I first got my driver's license. Um, maybe a couple months after 16 and a half, maybe 17. Uh, I was leaving my friend's house 
it was like 10 30 p.m maybe and it's like it, it he lives in a pretty nice area and so um it's like a 20 minute drive home and i was pulled over at the side of like the neighborhood but not near the houses like you know in like a neighborhood like has like a backside kind of and it was just like a street in the back with like a whole brick wall like empty street i pulled over to to change the the music that I was playing literally to create a playlist for the drive home so i pulled over like the great driver i was at 16 um, uh, so responsible <laughs> right like i was doing the right thing i, I was, was such a kid in third grade i was so, i'm such a good driver <laughs> humble brags humble brags like, like i say this to really like emphasize how ridiculous the outcome was um and so i was just sitting there and i was on my phone and then all of a sudden there were like bright lights all over me and i was just like like i didn't even know what to do i was just shook i, I wasn't like i didn't know what was going on and there was a police car. They pulled up, three of them pulled up, one across the street, one in front of me, one behind me. And like all shined their lights in my car. And I was just sitting there like as a 16 year old, like just looking at music on my phone. And then um, they, they used whatever the horn thing. And they were like, um, put your hands on the wheels, like whatever, whatever. And I was freaking out. Like I didn't even know what to do. And they like came up, one of them was holding a gun like they pulled up and was like roll down the window and I was like trembling they're like what are you doing here and I was like I'm about to drive home I was just trying to change the song and I showed him my phone and he like looked into my car like shined the flashlight all over my car and I was just like I don't know what to tell you and then he was like driver's license everything so I gave it to him I said did I do something wrong I just gave it to him and he came back in like 10 minutes it took forever the longest like wait of all time and I was just sitting there like I texted my parents like this is what's happening I'm freaking out and then he just came back and was just like, you should go home right now. And I was like, what did I do? And he was like, go home. And then they just like left. And I just sat in my car, like trying to regain my, my life back, like my energy. And then they waited for me to leave. Like, I feel like that was the, the annoying part too. Like they all just sat there and then followed me at least 10 minutes on the way home. And like, like what, what did that do to a 16 year old? Like, I was thinking about that definitely for months. Like every time I drove at night, like I would think about, okay, am I parking in a, you know, in a spot where somebody might single me out? Like, am I like just all the, all of these things, right? Cop on the road, I'm already like freaking out. And it creates these situations where it's, it's almost, I don't, I don't know how to describe it other than unfair. Like <laughs> it's unfair that we have to, you know, live life like this. And then to even, if I had them in school too, oh no. Like that would, that would even further perpetuate a lot of those negative interactions. I don't know what that, where that was going, but that, that was my rant. Thank you again. <laughs> That's trauma right there. You know, uh, similarly, like, um, so I <laughs> kind of ambitiously was uh, applied to transfer to, to Stanford out of community college. Um, and to do that, I had to take the SATs. Um, and I took them at the, the same high school that I got arrested at. And for some reason, like, as soon as I got on campus, like, I just, I got anxious, right? Um, I was like, they're going to get me. <laughs> like, I wasn't even doing anything wrong. I was taking my SATs, you know? Like, <laughs> um, but I was terrified that, that like, something was going to happen. Something was going to go wrong. Um, they just, they don't create safe environments. Safe for who? Right. Exactly. For the, for the rare situation that happens once every three years or something. 
um, exactly in which we would have yeah. called 911 anyway like that's all they're going to mm -hmm. do at the end of the day is call up for backup mm -hmm. anyway yeah i do have a question i also have like a, a reflection and i don't know if it's valuable to to anyone but i feel like it would be i think it's just like a I feel like it's hard in my case. I don't know if you could just link it back to like, you know, directly the fact that like, you know, it, because I'm white, but I, I think you can directly link it back to the fact that like the school that I went to was so like predominantly white, very like middle-class and, and just in the sense that like, I just feel like it's such like the, you know, like the pinnacle of privilege is the fact that you just like don't recognize that this is happening. It's just like a, you know, just like the fact that like, the, like these things are like surprising is just like, yeah, yeah. Like that's exactly what it is. Like the fact that you just didn't even have to, un like that wasn't a concern is like so huge. And like thinking about times when I got in trouble in high school, you know, all my, all my high school friends listening, they know I got in trouble all the time. No, I'm just kidding. No, but like, you know, there was this one time where I, where I like, like, you know, you weren't allowed to go off camp. Hopefully no one's listening. Super sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there, was a, there was a time where you were supposed to you were supposed to go off campus as like a freshman um and I remember I did for lunch and I got super scared because I saw I saw like an administrator and I sprinted back and like jumped over the fence and I got like I got so scared I got so scared that I cried that night and then I went to the no one like I didn't get caught I'm fast but I, I didn't get caught and I went back <laughs> I went back and I like the next day I like went to the principal's office and I like literally I cried and I was like I'm so sorry like I did it I I ran up and they were like like dude chill like there was so many other issues <laughs> like don't do that but, like, I just think it's like I feel like they're, they're definitely wasn't perfect but, like we had we had a resource officer um and you know the counselors weren't like exceptionally accessible um although I I like they were we had really like we had really quality counselors um and, and I think it's just like a reflection of like my, like, I, like I didn't feel intimidated, like going to, you know, like, a, like the authorities and being like, Hey, this is what's going on. And I think it's a reflection of both like the entire institution that I was going to, as well as like, you know, my, like my position and like, I don't know. I, I just think it's really interesting and it's pretty tragic. And when this does, and I, and I really hope there's like bigger changes in the sense that like, I don't think that, my I, I don't I do think it's a reflection of like me personally I'm sure there's students on campus who felt like they were targeted um specifically you know it, like you can think of students who you're like oh yeah like you know that kid's a troublemaker or something along those lines um and I and I think it's a it's really really sad and terrible and um I'm super super grateful for this conversation and I think it is a, a really good point that you brought up at the beginning that I know we kind of dismiss but just like the perceptions of the people who are in authority positions and abilities to play favorites and how that can like really ultimately determine the trajectory of a student's life so strongly. Um, so I, I think that's something that we could draw from this conversation just in regards to, you know, students more generally and kids more generally mm -hmm. and how, how, like how people deserve to be treated like in a, in a young age. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, and if we have time, I would I would love to to touch on that point too because um, like we, we Demi, what year did you graduate? Uh, two thousand sixteen. Two thousand sixteen. Yeah, <laughs> I, I graduated in in twenty fifteen, right? And um, the high school that I got expelled from was in like an affluent, very white area, um, and what they found in in San Mateo County is that. Um, 
they were disproportionately uh, expelling and incarcerating black and brown youth, <laughs> right? Uh, who could have guessed, right? Um, from like their zero tolerance policies and all, all this other stuff, right? Um, and when I got arrested, the, the juvenile hall was at capacity. There was over 300 youth in there. Um, um, the court and community school I went to had like over 100 kids, right? Or had nearly 100 kids. It was like 80, 90, right? Um, and they were just pushing out all the black and brown folk, right? Like, <laughs> people were getting like arrested and uh, expelled for truancy. But that was like the big one for me. I was like, you're going to expel a kid for not going to school, you know? Like, <laughs> like it was always so funny whenever I'd like run into those kids, like it, like inside of like the court community school, I was like, what are you doing here? Cause they, they seem normal, you know, they didn't seem like, <laughs> I was like, dude, what are you, how did you get here? And like, oh, truancy. And it's like, for what? You know, like, doesn't make sense. Um, but since then, like, San Mateo County has, has recognized that. Um, uh, and to give, like, a comparison, like, the juvenile hall is, like, around, like, 50 or so, or the last time I checked, it was around 50 or so. The Corinth Community School I, I went to has less than 10 youth there, um, which, which means that we're, we're moving in the right direction, right? But we still have more steps to take. Uh, we can't just pat ourselves on the back um, for progress, right? Because there's still progress to be made. Um, I, I won't be happy until there isn't any kids in there, right? Until we close our juvenile hall. Uh, because I don't think that we need to incarcerate our kids, right? Um, I think that young people deserve to be in their most resource-heavy environments. Uh, they deserve to be in their homes. Uh, they deserve to be surrounded by adults that care about them uh, and to be built up, right? And young people don't need more trauma. Um, stop arresting kids. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks, Nick. Um, and so I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll ask you the, the final question now. And so I'm wondering for the people listening, how can others get involved in your work? I guess what, what, what advice would you, you know, say, put out there into the public um, for them to get involved or to support to support the efforts that you're going that that you're um, that you're building, and then what messages do you have to young people uh, on that same note um, to to get involved to make a difference? What, what would you like to tell them? Wow! So for adults, um, I got some news for you. Um, <laughs> um, the organization I work for, Fresh Lifelines for Youth, um, that works with um, youth. Um, about 13 now, uh, 13 to 25, sometimes younger, um, uh, is in three counties, Alameda, San Mateo, and Santa Clara County. Um, and we take um, volunteers to facilitate our law classes uh, where we teach youth about um, their rights, uh, about how to de-escalate police situations, um, and we, we throw in some like life skill stuff there as well. Uh, and we're always looking for more facilitators. Um, and since, you know, everything is online, um, we, we are also doing facilitation online. Um, so if you would like to be a facilitator, uh, please go to flyprogram.org <laughs> and, and click on volunteer. Um, and we are, we're also always looking for mentors. So the, the only requirement for being a mentor is you have to be over 21. Um, there's an interview process. Um, and all of that, but we're, we're also always looking for, for mentors as well. Um, 
for young people. Um, and, and then also for adults, um, make sure um, if you're working with young people, be patient, right? Like, and make sure you're coming at it from, from a place of, of love, right? Like um, identify those, those key traits in, in young people that maybe you're having problems with, right? Or, and, and turn that into a strength. Um, make those defiant, outspoken, you know, uh, uh, talking back kids, right? Make, make them leaders, make them advocates, make them public speakers. Um, and there's other skills too, right? That are, that are valuable, like photography and art and, and, and everything else, right? Like there, there are a lot of skills that young people have that just need to be identified. Um, so do that, find, find what they're good at, uh, find what they enjoy. Um, who knows, maybe they'll, they'll be super into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> um, and then uh, for young people, I, I would say the same, like try, try things, right? Like you need to find what you enjoy. You need to find um, what your, your like hidden talents are and you, and you don't know until you, you try and you fail and, um, and you kind of just like experience life. And I, I would say to not get discouraged by, by obstacles, don't get discouraged by what are perceived as failures, right? Because they can become huge blessings. Like I was, I was arrested and incarcerated at 14 and I thought my life was over. Um, but really it was, it was my, my launching pad. Um, so, you know, turn, turn those L's into W's, right? <laughs> and it, it'll, it'll all be right. Well, thank you, Nick, for joining us and, and for sharing us your perspective and insight. Um, this conversation was fantastic. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And scene. This was a podcast recording of PolicyWise. We are your hosts, Michael and Demi. PolicyWise is a production of Youth Leadership Institute in partnership with California Ford and their Young Leaders Advisory Council. Jared Amonos produced this episode and the music was created by Ian Post and sourced from artistlist.io. If you want to find more great youth content, check out YLI.org and be sure to subscribe to PolicyWise on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It really helps. To discuss this episode, engage with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PolicyWisePod and hashtag your discussion with hashtag PolicyWise. See you next time for more youth voice and policy discussion on PolicyWise.